From the Financial Times in Hong Kong, I'm Victor Mallet, Asia News Editor, and this is FT News. Malaysia's new Prime Minister, Mahathir Mohamad, is stepping up his investigation into the previous government of Najib Razak. Mr. Mahathir won a stunning election victory last week over his rival, partly on a platform of investigating alleged corruption in the previous government. So here with me to discuss this is our correspondent, Ben Bland, who's been covering events from Kuala Lumpur. Ben, let's talk about the election first. How big a surprise was this? How big an event was this? This was a huge shock. We have to remember this is the first time in 60 years since Malaysia was independent from Britain that the ruling coalition has been unseated. And very few outside observers saw this coming. A few people in the uh, Mahathir campaign predicted in the last few days that things were moving their way. But I think even they didn't really believe it until they saw the results and had final confirmation very late on election night itself. Uh, is this really going to be a real change? Mahathir is 92. He's been prime minister before. And in some ways, he was responsible for the system that has really governed Malaysia and Malaysian politics for decades. So are we really going to see genuine change, do you think, now? I think many Malaysians are having a hard time believing in this unlikely transformation of Mahathir from strongman into democratic reformer. It's a pretty amazing turnaround over the last 15 years since he was last prime minister. But I think he was actually a key figure on the campaign. The opposition coalition was pretty disparate, not very united, and Mahathir coming back as this fatherly figure who claimed he wanted to redeem himself and save Malaysia from all the various problems it's facing, corruption, concerns about the country being sold to China, the economy not really benefiting ordinary people. The fact that he claimed he was the guy who could fix all these problems, some of which he created, convinced the opposition to unite. So he was really a key figure in the campaign. Now the question is, will he follow through and will the coalition around him deliver on all these promises? And there I think people are definitely cautious. He did, as you say, create this system of sort of electoral authoritarianism when Malaysia has contested elections to some extent, but the press is very tightly controlled, there's a lot of gerrymandering, and now he's promised to undo a lot of those controls, but it's going to take quite some time and there's definitely a fear that once he has his still rather firm, even at the age of 92, grip on the levers of power again, he may not want to give up quite so soon. Just take us through what he's actually done so far. What has the new government actually done? I mean, they've stopped Najib Razak from leaving the country. What else has happened since the election result? Well, I think we have to give the guy a bit of a break. It was a pretty unexpected result, and he's only been in power for a handful of days. So he's appointed his first three provisional ministers, including the finance minister, and he's now working on selecting the cabinet. And he started to change some of the legal infrastructure with which many Malaysians were unhappy. They felt that it hadn't properly investigated cases of corruption and financial scandals linked to the last government of Najib Razak, um, not least of which was 1MDB. So he started to change some of those personnel. And as you say, he banned Najib and his wife from leaving the country with an eye to making sure they're able to get to the bottom of this 1MDB and a number of other financial scandals, which really motivated voters to vote out this government. 1MDB is this government fund, multi-billion dollar fund that Najib, I think, helped to set up and is accused of having, having pillaged, although he denies that. Yeah, it's a sovereign wealth fund of the sort that many countries around the world have, and it, it was set up with an eye on developing Malaysia further and protecting the national assets. But he was later accused of stealing hundreds of millions of dollars 
from the fund personally. And there are other allegations from the US Department of Justice that several billion dollars overall were taken out of this fund over the years. And I think many people here felt that it was used effectively as a personal and political slush fund for Najib and the ruling regime. Of course, as you say, he's denied any wrongdoing and he was cleared by the sort of legal um, system which he presided over when he was in power of any wrongdoing. But now, of course, Mahathir said he's going to reopen the case. He's going to move quickly to do that, but partly to show that he's changed his spots. He says he's going to make sure that they follow the rules and regulations and it's done in a different way from how things work in the past. And that means that it may, of course, take some time for the new people to get in to the Attorney General's office, the Anti-Corruption Commission, and for then that for those officials to start cooperating with the US, Swiss and Singaporean authorities who've been looking into this case for quite some years now. Thanks. Tell us about Anwar Ibrahim. Now, Anwar Ibrahim was Mahathir's deputy prime minister a long time ago, was persecuted by Mahathir and indeed was jailed and is in jail now. And the reports are that Mahathir said he's going to pardon him or get him a royal pardon, and he will be released, we think, perhaps in the next couple of days. What effect will that have? I mean, is he still an important political figure? And how will he interact with his former enemy and now his ally, Mahathir? Well, Anwar Ibrahim is a global democracy icon. But that may not necessarily be a good thing. We only have to look at what happened to Aung San Suu Kyi in Myanmar, who occupied a similar role in the eyes of many people in Myanmar and definitely the world outside. Um, She's been a bit of a disappointment and there's definitely a fear that that could be the same for Anwar. I mean, he's a fascinating figure. People say he's the most beautiful maker of speeches in Malaysia and perhaps in the whole of, of Southeast Asia. And he's a guy who will talk Quran to Muslim Malays in the village. He'll talk Shakespeare and Napoleon to visitors from Washington, D.C. So he really knows how to speak to his audiences. But there's always been a question mark over his ability to deliver. And to be fair to him, he spent much of the last 20 years either in jail or fighting various sodomy and corruption allegations, all of which he says were completely politically motivated. So he hasn't really had much of a chance to prove himself. But I think there are legitimate questions over how he actually manages the relationship with Mahathir. I mean, they claim they've kissed and made up, of course, but Mahathir at 92 is still a pretty sharp guy. He's already taken a firm grip on power. And will he really want to hand over the reins to Anwar so quickly? I think we'll have to wait and see how that long and tempestuous relationship develops in its latest chapter. Absolutely. Now, just tell us a little bit about the atmosphere in Kuala Lumpur. Are people jubilant? Are they cautious? Are they celebrating? Has the media, which has been pretty restricted in recent years, has it become a lot freer all of a sudden? I think the first couple of days there was nervousness, a fear that Najib Razak and the ruling party might not hand over power so easily, but they soon did. So I think people felt relief. There was definitely initial jubilation and people just couldn't believe that after 60 years there was a change people suddenly started speaking their mind. I had a conversation with an investment banker who said in the past, in all their research, they were very guarded about the sort of things they would write. Now, in their first few notes since the election, they were criticizing everyone, criticizing Najib, criticizing Mahathir, criticizing Anwar. There's definitely been a flourishing of opinion, which is great. I think people are still keen to see how this pans out over the next few days. 
when it comes to the media, much of the official media here was effectively controlled by the ruling party and still is. Obviously, the ruling party is now the chief opposition. Interestingly, in the first few days, they've kind of switched roles. So they're now pretty loyally reporting whatever Mahathir and his nascent government says. So they definitely haven't jumped into being a watchdog yet. I think they're sort of glad to be dealing with someone they know. And it may be that in the coming weeks and months, there is a flourishing of the media, but it's too soon for that. And I think the kind of slightly challenged economic of paid-for journalism may make it difficult, even if uh, more liberal-minded, critical people did want to set up new newspapers. It may not be so easy financially to do so. Lastly, just looking at the region, Asia as a whole, this is quite a seismic event in a way. Of course, Malaysia was officially a democracy, uh, as you said, but it, it was a very managed democracy. We have this extraordinary election result. How is this going to affect relations with other Southeast Asian countries, Singapore has a similar system where the ruling party has been in power since independence. You've been writing yourself today about the massive multi-billion dollar Chinese investments in Malaysia, which are now under question because these were seen to be sort of sweet deals that may be too expensive for Malaysia to pay for. What are the kind of effects going to be regionally, do you think, of this changeover? Is it a bit too early to tell? It's early days, of course. But I think the first lesson is that democracy, even guided democracy, managed democracy, is very unpredictable. And I think we have to be wary of talk of grand trends, grand shifts, the rise of strongman rule. There was this theory that you know, we were going to have strongmen all across Asia backstopped by Chinese money and sort of Xi Jinping's development ideology of crushing opposition. And the previous leader of Malaysia, Najib Razak, very much fitted into that mould. And people thought he was going to be there for many, many years to come, thanks to his close relationship to Xi Jinping and all the uh, money that China was pumping into the economy to keep it afloat. Well, the Malaysian people said no. And I think that's a stark warning to other governments around the region. People over the border in Singapore will be watching with a lot of interest. It's really exciting and there may well be some nervousness seeing a ruling party turfed out just so unexpectedly. More generally, in terms of the relationship with China, Mahathir has said he wants to renegotiate many of these multi-billion dollar deals that Najib did with Xi Jinping's government and Chinese state-owned companies in a rush over the last few years. And it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out. On the one hand, uh, Mahathir is known for his fiery nationalistic rhetoric. On the other hand, he can be quite pragmatic. And the sorts of big, shiny projects that China was promising Malaysia, new rail, new industrial zones, new ports, well, they're exactly the sort of thing that Mahathir wanted to build before. So I think he's going to go to Beijing when he has time and try and renegotiate the finances of some of these deals so that they're more favourable to Malaysia. But I wouldn't expect a massive shock there in terms of those relations, not least because he doesn't want to give himself a massive problem with Beijing when he still has a lot to do in the next 100 days to reassure Malaysians that he's actually going to pursue this program of very ambitious economic and legal reforms. Thanks very much to you, Ben Bland. And if you, the listeners, would like to read any more on this story, don't forget to check out ft.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. 
In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.